All right, we're going to pray at this time. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for the, the day you've already given us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, friends and family we can meet together here in church. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your love that we can center around and uh, your word. I thank you for the message uh, tonight. I ask you, please, just bless us, Lord, that we would have our hearts open. Help us, Lord, to learn something. Help us not to uh, uh, to get in the, uh, the habit of, of just letting things pass by. But, Lord, help us to learn. Help us to have our minds open. And uh, be with Pastor as he preaches and teaches to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. Tonight will be, uh, honestly, unlike any of the other Bible studies in to some of you, this is going to be just review, but I think I have some things in here for you as well. Others, and by the way, it's always good to review God's Word. Did you know you can't read it enough and know it enough? And uh, so you say, well, preacher, I know this stuff. There's things you still don't know, just like me. Amen? Uh, Romans chapter 10. Let's start uh, reading in verse number uh, uh, I'm sorry, let's start reading in verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, uh, I'm going to start by saying this. I'm going to teach you tonight about what we call the Romans road of salvation. But it, it's going to be a bit more than that, so hang on. Uh, there is, and I'm going to start by saying this. There is no set of exact verses that you have to use for somebody to get saved. Uh, I've started in the book of Genesis and gone all the way through the Bible with people that don't even know who Jesus is and won them to Christ. Uh, you say, why? Because if they don't know who Jesus is, it doesn't do you any good to run through the Romans road. They've got to understand who he is, why he was, and then why they need him. So there's no exact group of verses. You, you say, well, uh, I wonder if I'm going to use the right ones. I'll show you what we we do on a regular basis, but these are not the only verses by which somebody gets saved. And you have to understand that, and you'll see what I mean in a moment here. The gospel is throughout the Bible. It starts in Genesis chapter 3, and it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. And the gospel is all spread all the way through all scripture. You say, well, preacher, one's the Old Testament, one's the New Testament. I'll show you at the end here. Yes, people in the Old Testament got saved the same way we get saved. They were looking ahead to Calvary. We look back at Calvary. Well, what about the sacrifices? Nobody got saved by a sacrifice. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we did the Lord's Supper here. Broken body, shed blood. That's exactly what the Old Testament sacrifices were. Broken body, shed blood. One was bloodier because he had not yet come. One is easier because he's already come. That's the only difference. So the New Testament and the Old Testament work together. I'll show you by faith people got saved in the Old Testament just like we do in the New Testament. There's not five different dispensations where people got saved differently throughout the dispensations. Mr. Schofield's wrong on that. Got a hole in his head big enough to drive a Mack truck through it. And I'd like to be pushing the pedal if he wasn't already dead for 100 years. But uh, now, here's, here's what you've got to understand. We generally teach people what we call the Romans Road because it's simple. It's compact and it doesn't take a major Bible study 
Does that make sense to everybody? It's, uh, <laughs> may I say something? Uh, again, it's not the only way, but <laughs> it is a good way for someone to learn how to show somebody how to get saved. And I'm going to say this, and please don't take this the wrong way. I've led tens of thousands of people to Christ in my, in my life. That's not an exaggeration. Tens of thousands. Uh, we've seen probably almost uh, in the churches and everything that we've worked in, uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people saved. But I've personally, in my preaching ministry and in soul winning and different things, have seen tens and tens and tens and probably close to 100,000 people saved. Now, I don't say that to lift me up. What I'm saying is, I think I know a little bit about it. Uh, I've been soul winning nearly every week of my life for 43 years plus. I've knocked on millions of doors. I've preached to untold numbers of people. I've preached in funeral homes. I've preached in cemeteries. I've preached on street corners. I've preached in bars. I've preached in rescue missions. I've preached in churches. I've preached in, uh, you name it, I've done it. I've preached in L train stations in big cities. I've preached in, uh, if you could name the situation, I've probably been there, done that. Uh, I've preached in parks. I've preached <laughs> everywhere a human being just about can preach. And I've knocked on doors, talked to people in every conceivable situation known to man. I've preached on, on doors and a guy came to the door with a gun in his hand. I want him to Christ. And he told me, he said, look, I was getting ready to go in there and shoot myself, commit suicide. You just gave me hope. Put the gun down. My dad and his pastor had that happen in Indiana as well. I've seen it happen. Uh, I've seen some crazy stuff, let me tell you. Uh, I, you say, well, preacher, does that mean you're a good soul winner? I'm not sure how to define a good soul winner. But I am going to say this. I believe the Bible says that we're all supposed to witness. And I believe the more we witness, the more people will get saved. Does that make sense to everybody? If you plant one seed of grass, it might grow. You plant a whole bag, you're going to get a lot of seed and a lot of grass. The same is true in witnessing. You can do it a time or two, and it may happen. But the more you do it, the more happens. And here's the good part. You're not responsible for the results. You're responsible for going. You're responsible for sowing the seed. Now, I do believe that the more people that you witness to, the more people will eventually get saved. It's kind of like fishing. Some of you fellers know what I'm talking about here. You can go out with a line and a pole and throw it out there and you got one hook in the water. But they have something called long line fishing. That's when you get about a thousand feet of, of line out there and you put about three or four hundred hooks on that thing and bait them all up. You put three or four hook, three, three or four hundred hooks in the water versus one, who's going to catch more fish? Same is true with witnessing. If you throw it out one at a time, you got a chance. But you keep throwing it out, keep throwing it out, keep throwing it out, and the more hooks you got in the water, the better chance you got of something biting, amen? And sometimes you got multiple ones bite. Why do you think the the missionary letter, Brother Anthony, just read from uh, Mexico City? Over 44,000 people saved in one month. There's 37, 38 million people in Mexico City proper. That's 38 times the population of the state of West Virginia. All right? <laughs> that's That's hard for us to wrap our heads around here. Uh, you take the whole Baltimore, D.C. Metroplex is 5 million people. That's almost eight times the size of D.C. Baltimore put together, stacked around. Uh, so for them to have 44,000 saved, yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's a, and it's still a lot of work, but compared to having 44,000 saved in the state of West Virginia, uh, you got to travel a lot farther. <laughs> 
and it's not as compact that way. Now, getting the gospel out is just kind of like putting as many hooks in the water as you can get. Did Jesus not say, fellas, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? He wasn't talking about, you grab a line, I'll get a pole, honey. He was talking about uh, throwing the nets out, professional fishing, catching boatloads. He wasn't talking about going down the old crow dad hole, amen. Uh, he was talking about uh, going out there and doing it and doing it big. Now, the book of Romans is such a powerful book of the Bible. Listen to this statement. It has all the doctrines necessary for salvation compacted into the 16 chapters everything is there it is in my opinion one of the most important books of the bible someone once said preacher if you could only have one book of the bible what would you choose i said the book of romans they said well what if you could have three books of the bible I said, that would be the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Romans. They said, why Psalms and Proverbs? Proverbs is wisdom. Psalms is the heart of God and the love of God. And Romans is all the doctrine I need. It encompasses it all. And Romans is a very, very, very important book. Now, uh, it makes it easy to give the gospel without giving a full Bible study when you're out knocking on doors or at your, you're at the altar or you're talking to somebody casually. And I'm going to make a statement here. It is by no means the, the only way. It is an easy way. Now, I'm going to make somebody mad if I'm successful here, but just hold on to your hat for a second. Listen to this statement, and I want everybody to look in my God-given eyeballs when I say this. Lost people are dead spiritually. They don't understand spiritual truth. They don't care how much you know. They just want to know what they need to get saved. You see, <laughs> I... We used to support a missionary years ago that got mad at me. He said, well, you just believe in easy believism. You can't get somebody saved in one conversation. I said, you just got your last missionary check. Amen. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, then Jesus is not the son of God. Because he only had one conversation with a man hanging on a cross with him. And he said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. I said, you're a heretic and I'm done supporting you. Amen. Well, that's different. That was Jesus. I said, is he the word of God? He didn't know where to go. He hung up very quickly. And he never got another penny from us. Now you know why I'm slow with missionaries. One of the reasons. I check them out. Now, listen to me very carefully here. Did you know you can get saved in one conversation? But you have to keep it simple. Lost people, unsaved people, do not have a spirit that lets them know they're in need of a Savior. When they come in contact with the gospel, the Holy Spirit begins to work on them saying, Y'all listen. It's the first time in their life they understand something spiritual, and it's the only thing a lost person can understand that is spiritual. And that is the gospel. You see, do you remember earlier in the book of Romans? Uh, go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel of Christ. For it, what? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we talked about that from faith to faith, 
We are saved by our faith, in, by the faith of Jesus Christ and his righteousness applied to our life. So we are saved from faith to faith. Now, but I want you to notice something. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel, not the soul winner. It is the gospel, not the messenger. It's the gospel, not the preacher. But they got to have somebody tell them. God does not come down to every human being and grab them by the back of the head and get saved or I'm going to smash your face in the altar to get saved. Say why? Because he put the responsibility on us to get the gospel to every creature. He did everything necessary for salvation for man. It's our job to get it to our fellow man. Well, how could a loving God let anybody die and go to hell? He doesn't. He did everything necessary to keep people from dying and going to hell. What he did was uh, gave it to us and we're to give it to everybody. By the way, as I preached a couple of weeks ago on the, on the topic of hell, God did not make hell for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. It was, it was created before man when man sinned. The Bible says hell hath enlarged itself. It had to be made bigger because man did what God did not want him to do. So God doesn't send anybody there. You choose to go there in violation of God's will. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something. That means this. We have to make the gospel simple. We have to make it easy to follow. And we can't complicate it too much, especially in this generation, or people aren't going to follow it. We live in a text, Twitter, and tweet, and whatever generation. People don't read much anymore. Uh, people just don't. I, I was handing, I had brother, was it last week? Last week I pulled two books off my shelf and showed Brother Anthony the difference in reading ability in fourth and fifth grade now and a hundred and some years ago. I have my grandmother's uh, geography books from fourth and fifth grade back in the early 19-teens. Most high schoolers couldn't read these. They were at a fourth grade level. Realize that President Taft graduated from elementary school. By the age of 14, started college, graduated college with his bachelor's degree at age 17, and had been working a full-time job by, from the age of 14 on. That was not unusual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going there. Change the locks, amen? Uh, but uh, you have to understand... Unsaved people don't have the ability to discern spiritual truth. And they're not going to sit there and listen to you go through a dissertation of how much you know. Amen. I love what my preacher used to say. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Amen. Now, uh, that means this. Let's make it simple so everybody can understand it. Do you know I'm thankful that the age of four and a half, when a Sunday school teacher, after a man preached on hell, I walked up to her and say, how do I get saved? And 52 years ago, she won me to Jesus Christ. I have been saved for 52 years. I'm just as saved as Jesus is. And guess what? I haven't doubted it at a time. Amen. Say why? Because it wasn't her. It was the word of God. It was the power of God unto salvation, not some spiritual revelation, not some experience. I didn't lay on the floor and flip and flop and uh, call all the motorcycle names backwards or anything else. It was just a matter of obeying what God said. Now, there are five things that I want you to learn tonight. Are you ready? These are five things that will help you. If you take notes, might be a good time. I'm going to give you some practical thoughts here. Number one, the question. The question. Any of you men remember trying to think of how to ask your wife to marry you? You talk about turmoil. Brother Myers, she asked you, right? <laughs> and you said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you started early, amen? Uh, now, wait a second here. Uh, the question, 
This is the key to getting the conversation started with the gospel, honestly. It's probably the scariest part of all of it. It's the hardest words to get out of the human mouth. I was talking to a preacher today. He was talking about uh, us getting involved in helping with getting gospel tracts out for a big thing they have nationwide. And I said, look, i got the track in this church in the world. How many tracks do you want out? Uh, it, it just, it, it's amazing. And I said, Doc, I, he said, well, I'm not the boldest of soul winners. I said, neither am I. I said, I, I can tell you exactly what I tell my church. And you're, you're thinking, you know where I'm going where, before I get there. Every time I knock on the door, I said, I tell my church, my first thoughts are, I hope they're not home. I said, I've been preaching for 43 years. I've been doing this a long time. I said, I still feel that way. Uh, can I tell you something? I still do. But it doesn't stop me from doing it. Now, when you ask them the question about salvation, I'm going to get to that in a moment. There's only three responses that you're going to get. Yes, no, or I hope so. Now, I hope so could be broken down into I'm working on it, but it basically I hope so. Those are the only three responses you're going to get. Yes, no, I hope so. Now, <laughs> here's, here's the problem with the question. It strips everything away down to the bare nothing about eternity. About a year and a half, about a year ago, my son and I were out soul winning. We were on Van Cleesville Road. Some nice homes over there on Van Cleesville itself. Knocked on door, had a good conversation with a fellow for a few minutes. And I said, sir, let me ask you a question. If you died, do you, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? He went from being a nice guy to angry at me. I mean, that quick. That's a private question. You get off my porch. I don't want to talk to anybody. But I mean, just that quick. And boy, he was, <laughs> he went from nice to cursing me out real fast. Uh, we got out down the sidewalk and looked at my son. And I said, man, that question really cut that man deep. He said, dad, it cuts everybody deep because it, it, it pulls everything back. It's just them and God then. And it's a true statement. It's just them and God. So you're, you're, there's nowhere to hide in this question. Often, the question I'll use is this. Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven someday? Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven someday? Now, if I'm in the hospital, I don't say when you die. <laughs> Not a good place. Or a nursing home. Or somebody's on their deathbed. I don't say, since you're dying, I'm be appropriate with it. If they say no, I just jump into the gospel. If they say yes, or I hope so, I, I say this. I'm glad you know, or I'm glad you hope you know, depending on what they said. This is my follow-up question. I'll say, can I ask you the same thing a little different way? Because I know there is a way for us to know that. I just want to make sure you and I are on the same page with God. And I'll say, if you died and you stood before God, and God says, Evan, why should I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? I did that. I was in Ohio so winning. Talked to a 22-year-old girl. I think her name was Alicia. And she said, ooh, I don't know. She went from pretty sure I'm going there to I don't know what I'd tell him. Probably because I'm trying to do my best. I said, good, that's all I need to hear. That means she's counting on her, yes. not him. Right. And it tells me everything I need to know. You see... <laughs> That little statement, if you, 
died today and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you in heaven? Now, they don't have to say, well, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. They, they may tell you, well, when I was a child, I went to church and uh, they, they showed me that uh, some verses and I prayed and I trusted Christ. Hey, that's pretty close to the gospel right there. They might not have all the exact terminology that you and I might use, but you're going to get an idea whether they know or not. They may not, uh, by the way, <laughs> they're probably not going to use the exact wording. And I often, <laughs> I tell soul winners this, don't give them the answers. Especially with children. I think it's wise as your children get older, if you're not a uh, if you're not used to soul winning, be careful winning children to Christ because you can feed them the answers. They need to be able to give you the answers, not you prodding them to give you the answers. Say, well, I want it so bad for them. And they're going to be confused for a long time in their life till they get it settled then. Make sure they understand sometimes it's wise to let somebody else talk to them. Usually when they start asking mom and dad about it, they're getting ready. Doesn't mean they're exactly ready, but they're getting there. Uh, now, I'm going to make this statement, and we're going to go to point number two quickly here. Never be afraid to ask people the question. All of eternity hangs on their answer. You know, I'm never afraid to ask anybody that question. I've talked to rich people. I've talked to poor people on the street. I've talked to doctors and lawyers and uh, executives, and I've talked to common uh, working class people. I've talked to people that were jobless and homeless. I've talked to people in airports and anywhere that you can think of, and I've asked that question everywhere I go. Number two. So first of all, the question, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Or uh, if he died and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? Number two, people need to understand that we're all sinners. The first, per first thing people need to understand is they're sinners. Turn to Romans chapter 3. You say, why? I'll show you why. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none. What's the next word? Righteous. Righteous. No, not one. We could read verses 11 through 22, but skip down to verse 23. For all have what? sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now look at me. We have all, we, we, uh, as it is written, there is none righteous. You don't get to heaven because you did not sin. You get to heaven because there's been righteousness added to your account. You not only can't get there if you sinned, but you also have to have righteousness added to your account. So you have to have both for the transaction to be complete. Does that make sense to everybody? And it's important because I'll show you why in just a moment. Uh, that means this, we're all sinners. Very, 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 very few people that you meet will ever say, I've never sinned. Very few. Uh, Romans chapter 5, turn there, verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. By the way, did you know people did not get saved by keeping the law? What would you do for... The thousand plus years between Adam and Moses. Huh. Even them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. And we could skip all the way down to verse 21. We're not going to do it. But if you read the rest of Romans 5, it talks about that we are all sinners from Adam all the way to us and all of us inherited that sin and it's not because somebody else sinned that we're a sinners we sin because we're sinners we were conceived in sin we were born in sin and we have willfully 
on our own sinned. There's nothing called original sin. It means we're all sinners. Make sense to everybody? Now, in the case someone says, well, I've never sinned, go to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 23. For the wages of sin is what? Okay, you sound like a bunch of Methodists here. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. There you go. Proof that we're all sinners, we're all going to die. If that doesn't get them, you can go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It says, if any man say they have no sin, they're a liar. And in that case, lying is a sin, and they just committed their first one by saying they never sinned. And you can prove it to them that way as well. Now, you have to understand something. All of us are sinners. Say, preacher, why is that so important? (laughs) Because of point number three. There's a penalty on sin. Because we're sinners, for the wages, the paycheck, the payment for sin is death. Now, we read in Romans 5.12, uh, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. There was no death prior to sin. There was no one aging or dying prior to sin. Brother Jim, you wouldn't be 91 and hurting like you do had Adam not sinned and had you not sinned. And judging by you, you did a whole bunch of it. Amen. But uh, <laughs> now you have to understand something. That death isn't just your body. Everybody look at me for just a second here. This is something... I say regularly at the door. There's something inside of you looking out at me right now called your soul. And it has to go forever somewhere. Either heaven or hell. You see, the body dying is one thing. But you don't die and just go into the ground and sleep for eternity. Oh, to Jesus. Amen. Uh, It's not that true. You see... There is a penalty on sin, not just the body dying, but the soul. And because of sin, the spirit is already dead. So the soul then goes to join the spirit that is dead when it's lost in trespasses in sin. Now watch this. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the what? Second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. For the wages of sin... Is death. Not just your body, but your soul and your spirit. And that second death is an eternal death in hell. You see, Jesus came not only to pay our sin debt, but to pay our hell debt too. He came to conquer death. Matter of fact, when he resurrected, the Bible says that he had the keys of death and hell he holds the key that means this when we get saved he loosens us from there we get out of the jail of hell and death now watch this I'm about to shout amen (sighs) in Genesis chapter 3 verses uh, 5 and 6 we don't have time to turn there when man sinned the devil came and said Oh, we, or Eve said, we can eat of all the fruit of the garden of Eden except the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And the devil said, oh, come on, Eve. In the day thou eatest, thou shalt not surely die. Wouldn't you like to be like God, knowing good and evil for yourself? You won't need God to tell you what to do. If you eat of that tree, you could be just like God. You could be your own God. 
That's what we have today. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Every man wants to be his own God. Every religion pretends to be God. Everybody doing okay? That's why religion is based on man's goodness and can't save anybody from hell. Getting baptized doesn't get anybody to heaven. Joining a church doesn't get anybody to heaven. Praying with beads doesn't get anybody to heaven. Giving money to buy candles and uh, talking to a guy in the telephone booth and telling him all the bad things you did doesn't get anybody to heaven. Somebody can't do the holy cross, the holy whatever, and the holy cow to get you to heaven. None of that works because that's man's goodness. Well, I'm hoping my good outweighs my bad. There is none righteous, no, not one. You would have to be good as Jesus Christ to get to heaven. And there are none of us able to because we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we have no righteousness. And there is a penalty on sin, which is death. And that death isn't just our body dying, but our soul and our spirit for eternity. Say, preacher, I thought you were teaching. You got to get them to realize they're lost before you can get them saved. You see, it's not a matter of what we do, but what he did for us. And it can't be relied on by you. It has to be relied on him. Now, number four, and I'll go quickly. Jesus came to pay the price for us because we as sinners could not pay it for ourselves. Let me ask you a question, and don't answer out loud. If we could get to heaven by being baptized, joining a church, paying money for our loved ones, doing whatever the world says we've got to do, why did Jesus come, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, shed his blood at Calvary, die, be buried, and resurrect three days and three nights later? If we could do anything, anything at all for our salvation, why did he have to go through any of that? Why? I'll tell you why. Well, just for our sin. Yes, then what, are you do, then what are you doing trying to do it yourself? What you're saying is what Jesus did isn't good enough and you have to do it yourself. Huh. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse number 2. Uh, go back to verse 1. Brethren, I, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Saved. Saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to what? For they, being ignorant of God's what? And going about to establish their own, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. People say, well, uh, you've got to turn from your sin or you didn't truly get saved. You have to repent. They got a hole in their head bigger than Mr. Schofield. Can I show you what biblical repentance is? You are going along life trying to live good, trying to do good, trying to earn your own salvation. And one day you run into the gospel. And somebody shows you that you're lost and on your way to hell. And that Jesus came and paid the sin debt for you. And all you have to do is trust him as your savior. You saw the need of a savior. You saw the penalty of your own way. And you decided that you would trust what Jesus said to take you to heaven. The moment you go from trusting yourself to trusting Jesus, you've just repented. You don't turn from your sin. You don't stop being a sinner, but you stop trusting your sinful ways. God says, for they going about to establish their own righteousness. 
Did we not read in Romans 3.10? As it is written, there is none righteous. Going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What does the word submit mean? To come under? To yield to? Uh, There's so much I want to say right here. I have to hurry though. You see, because we're sinners, we can't live righteous enough. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. I got to read real fast. Romans 4, 6. Even as David describeth the blessedness of, of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. When you get saved, watch this, God puts Jesus' righteousness on your account. The moment you trust him as Savior, he wipes your name off and puts Jesus' righteousness right on your account. That make, make, make even a Presbyterian shout, amen, all right? Look at verse number 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, skip down to uh, verse number 22. Verse number 22. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it is, was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was the deliverer for our offenses and was raised again For our justification. Huh. Sounds like. We don't get to heaven by our righteousness. But by his righteousness. Matter of fact. uh, That's the only way to get it. By the way. That's what being born again means. John chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. Nicodemus came to Jesus. And he said how can I inherit the kingdom of heaven. He said you must be born again. He said whoa. You mean I got to get put back in my mama's belly and get, then she ain't going to like it, neither am I. He said, no, 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 no. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. There's two different spirits there, capital S, small s. That which is born of the Holy Spirit is man's spirit. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're born again. You've been regenerated. That word regenerated means regened, regeneticized. Because not only did he impute the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit moves in and you get the eternal genetics of God eternally, spiritually, and for your soul. And it's signed, sealed, and delivered. By the way, because we're all sinners, our good is tainted by sin. Do you realize for every one time Jesus, while he was on earth for 33 years, spoke of heaven, he spoke three times of hell himself? Well, hell's not real. Then you didn't read the Bible. Well, Jesus, it was just all about love. Yes, he loved people enough to tell them about hell. You're going to take your kids out in the I-81 and let them play ball in the middle of 81? Say why? Because you love them, not because you hate them. How do we get this gift of salvation? Real quickly. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Key word there is gift. Gift. Look at Romans chapter 10. We read these earlier, verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God's raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto what? Oh, but not our righteousness, right? His righteousness. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved, shall be saved. Could be saved, may be saved, possibly be saved. 
Now watch this. Shall be saved until you do something wrong? No, I guess that once it's done, done forever. Kind of like once you get born, you're born. There ain't nothing to do about it. Huh. Sounds like it's pretty sure, doesn't it? Amazing, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That means this, and that faith is not of yourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse number 3 says, God hath given to every man the measure of faith. God's put into the heart of every human being enough faith to get saved. I don't care what country you go to, people worship something. Because they have faith There's something out there beyond this life. And God hath given to every man the measure of faith. When that faith comes in contact with the gospel, Brother Jim, and they submit to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, they're born again. Galatians 2.16 through uh, 21 says that we are not saved by our faith, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to put my faith. It's not your faith. It's a faith he gave you. It's his. Galatians 3.22 through 25 say virtually the same thing. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I can do nothing to get saved. I have nothing in me that is able to save myself, but all I can do is say, God, I'm a sinner. I realize I can't get saved on my own. I need what you did and that alone to take me in heaven, and I'm going to trust that. And at that moment, you get saved. But it's kind of like when you stand at the altar here and I do a wedding. I look at the young man and get him through his vows and her through her vows and I say, will you take this man? And she says, I do. And I say to him, will you take this woman? He says, I will. Then they come back for their honeymoon and they said, we did what? (laughs) You submit to each other. You accepted that by faith. That's exactly what getting saved is all about. You don't turn from your sin. You don't repent and never sin again. But may I show you something? Uh, I'll turn there. You can turn to Hebrews 11. Let me read a verse out of the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says this. You know, it would be better if I'd get in the right book of the Bible. Here we go. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Hmm. God was talking about the Holy Spirit there. How do you get the Holy Spirit? By being saved. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me turn there. But it's very interesting. In verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse number 1 says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that things which are seen, that that were not made of things which do appear. By faith, who? Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, who? Enoch. Huh. Verse number seven, by faith, who? Noah. By the way, all this is before Moses and the law. Huh. By faith, Abraham. That's long before the law. Then we get to Moses all the way down in, uh, you got Isaac and Jacob down in verses 20 and 21. Joseph in verse 22. Moses in verse 23. Wow. 
All these people in the Old Testament were saved by faith. Not by sacrifices. Not by the blood of bulls and rams and not by the blood of doves and, and animals, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. By faith. They believed he would come. We believe he did come. But it's all in the same thing. It's all in what Jesus would do or did do. That's the only difference. People were saved. For by grace are you saved. Through what? Faith. So the Romans wrote of salvation. What is it? Best thing to do is grab one of those tracks on your way out. And on the back of it, it has the plan of salvation. It's the best way for you to learn how to win someone to Christ. You can take that and read it to them. Personally, I like using my Bible because I think people need to see it out of the Bible. But if you're not comfortable, take the track out, turn into your Bible, and start reading it from your Bible and just look down at what, what verse is next. It matters not to me, but let's keep it simple for everybody to understand. It's really not that hard. So, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven when you die? If you died and... You stood before God and God says, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? Two most important questions. Yeah. And from there, everything's easy. It really is. Then it's just cut the gospel gun loose and keep pulling the trigger. Amen. When you get to Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you say, do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe because we're all sinners, we all deserve hell? You believe that Jesus came and paid your sin debt for you? You believe if you trusted what Jesus did, that alone take you to heaven, that he would take you to heaven? Yes? All right, let's bow our head and close our eyes. Why don't you call on the name of the Lord? You say, don't you ask him? No, I'm supposed to lead him, not ask him. I lead him. Nobody likes to pray for us. I don't ask them to pray out loud. Most of them do, but if they don't, it doesn't bother me. It's between them and God, not between me and them. It's that simple. It's so simple. The Romans wrote. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done.